The Baltimore Orioles cannot be stopped. They won their 10th game in a row on Wednesday night, and they are over 500 in mid-July. I'll recap another O's win. Plus, we talk about Trey Mancini and why the Orioles should not trade him at this year's deadline. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, July 14th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we start by recapping another Orioles victory as they beat the Cubs 7-1 at Wrigley Field on Wednesday night to sweep a two-game set. They've won their 10th in a row, and the Orioles have a winning record in July for the first time since 2017. Then, we'll take a look at the topic that has just infatuated Birdland over the last couple of days, and really over a lot of this season. Should the Orioles trade Trey Mancini at the upcoming MLB trade deadline? I'll give both sides the argument, but tell you why the O's should hold on to Trey for the rest of this season. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. So before we get into talking O's and Cubs, just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you, you could give us a five-star rating, and a review on either of those apps. That really helps the pod. And of course, we're right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to hit that red subscribe button. Thank you so much for all the views on these last few episodes on YouTube, especially on Tuesday's episode as we had Joe Doyle of Prospects Live on the podcast to discuss who the Orioles will be taking with the number one overall pick in Sunday night's 2022 MLB draft. Make sure to check out that episode and many others here on the YouTube channel. Like, comment, and subscribe as well. But thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. And for your first listen today, let's start with what happened at Wrigley Field. Orioles 7 and Cubs 1 as the Orioles sweep their third consecutive series. They have won 10 games in a row, and they are now 45 and 44 on the season. That's right, the Baltimore Orioles on July 13th, 2022, have a winning record. They're going to have a winning record on the 14th, and they're going to have a winning record on the 15th because they've got today off as well. 10 wins in a row. A team that was 24-35 and 35 just about a month ago has now won 10 straight games and gotten themselves over 500. Wow. Now the team still sits two games out. Uh, quite frankly, they're actually two and a half games out at this point with... Seattle sweeping a doubleheader over the Nationals and the Blue Jays beating the Phillies again on Wednesday night. But the Orioles still just those two games out. Not sure why I said two and a half. It's two. Two games out behind Seattle and Toronto. Still right in the thick of things. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 7-1 to win over the Cubs on Wednesday night. The first thing you need to know is, well, the O's jumped on the Cubs early in this one. 
Three runs in the first inning off of Chicago starter Justin Steele. Now, Steele ended up going six innings, allowing four runs and three of them earned. But the O's got him early. Three runs in the first. They got a couple of singles from Mullins and Mountcastle. And then Anthony Santander rips a double into left center field, scoring two runs, putting the O's up 2 nothing. Then Austin Hayes singles, brings home another run to make it 3 to nothing. And they just jumped right ahead, and that's not something they did on Tuesday night. Remember, they trailed 2-0 early in Tuesday night's game against the Cubs, and they've trailed early in some of these games. But it was nice to see a big crooked number in the top of the first inning before you even send your defense and your pitcher out there to get that big number. That really, really helped out. And the second thing you need to know from this one is that, you know, that was... Not all for the Orioles' offense, those three runs in the first. And a big reason why is that Austin Hayes had a huge bounce-back game for the O's. Hayes goes four for five in this one with a double and three singles and four hard-hit balls on the day for Hayes. And this was much, much needed for Austin Hayes because as we talked about on Monday's episode— Hayes was not an all-star selection, and deservedly so. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about how I thought he was right on the bubble for the AL all-star roster. Well, he went into a bad slump, and that continued. You know, he had an 0 for 4 on Tuesday night. Austin Hayes was 3 for 42 at the plate over his last 11 games, coming into Wednesday night's game. And what does he do? Turn things completely around with a 4 for 5 day. Huge Game for Austin Hayes at the dish. That double in the eighth was 105 off the bat. And even his ground out, his one time he was out, was a hard hit ball in the sixth inning, 95.7 miles per hour off the bat. Swung the bat very, very well in this game, and hopefully that gets his swing back and gets him out of that kind of elongated slump that he was in for the Orioles. Because when his bat is going, this offense is at a different level. Third thing you need to know from this one as we turn our eyes to the pitching Spencer Watkins just did what Spencer Watkins has been doing once again in this one. Watkins goes five-plus innings in this start, allowing one run on four hits, strikes out five with two walks, no home runs allowed, throws 86 pitches and lowers his ERA to 3.93 on the season, and just four hard-hit balls against Watkins in his five-plus innings of work. He did come back out for the sixth inning, allowed a leadoff single in the bottom of the sixth with the Orioles leading 4-1 to one, and then was removed from the game in favor of Dylan Tate. But all in all, this is all you can really ask for out of Spencer Watkins. He's not going to dominate and go 7-8 innings, but if you can get five innings, one run every time Spencer Watkins goes out there for as long as he sticks in this Orioles rotation, that is just huge for the O's. And Watkins had some stuff working. He got 10 whiffs on 37 swings, including four on the cutter, three on the slider, and two on his four-seam fastball. He was dotting that four-seamer for some called strikes, dotting the cutter for some called strikes. He had five strikeouts, and it was a lot of called strike threes. And he was just fooling these Cubs hitters all night. And he didn't throw as many curveballs as we saw him throw in his last start. Just six curveballs and two change-ups of his 86 pitches. He really just focused on fastball, cutter, and slider. Was almost essentially a three-pitch guy through his five innings on Wednesday night, but it worked out once again. And, you know, the cutter continued to work a little better as he's using it in better spots, locating it better. I'll take that every day for Spencer Watkins. Again, I don't think Spencer Watkins is long for this rotation. I think when Kyle Bradish comes back, he could replace him. 
So hopefully when D.L. Hall gets to the big league soon, as he dominated again this week, he will replace potentially Watkins. But Watkins has given the Orioles everything he has this year. It's been very impressive. Fourth thing you need to know is that the Oriole bullpen was its usual self after Spencer Watkins left the game. And, well, they were able to put in four scoreless innings to finish this one off. Now, the last two pitchers did have a little bit of trouble. Joey Crable had to throw 25 pitches in a scoreless eighth, and Brian Baker, 20 pitches in a scoreless ninth that included a hit and a walk to finish out the game. But the first two relievers were dynamite. Dylan Tate entered after Watkins gave up the leadoff single in the sixth, went 1-2-3 with a strikeout. CNL Perez went 1-2-3 in the seventh, and then Crable and Baker again labored a little bit, but each put up zeros as well. CNL Perez, his ERA is now down to .90. He has not allowed a base runner in his last six appearances and has not allowed an earned run in his last 11 appearances after a 1-2-3 seventh on Wednesday night. What a pickup he has been. Uh, coming up next week on the pod, we'll really break down what CNL Perez has done so, so well so far this season. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that, you know, it wasn't only that the Orioles scored early with three in the first and then one in the second as well on Trey Mancini's RBI double, but it's that they also scored late to add on because after they had a 4 nothing lead through two innings, the Orioles offense went silent third through the seventh, five innings there. They, I believe, only had one base runner in those five innings. They were completely shut down by mostly Justin Steele, who kind of you know figured things back out in this game, and Rowan Wick helped him out out of the bullpen, but they did not do anything. And then that eighth inning became huge for the Orioles because, you know, it was a 4 nothing and then a 4-1 to game throughout most of that time, but, you know, you'd like to hold more than a three-run lead, and the O's got a three-run eighth inning. And, yeah, it was you know, maybe a little bit unconventional how they score those three runs in the eighth inning. But at the end of the day, you're going to take it any way that you can get it. You get the Adley Rutschman RBI double, you get the Rugnet Odor RBI single, you load the bases, and then Daniel Norris balks with the bases loaded, allowing the Orioles to score their seventh run. And those tack-on runs were huge in this game because it allowed the Orioles, you know, to go to Joey Crable, who's still been really good, but, you know, to go to Crable and Baker in the eighth and ninth instead of having to use Bautista and Lopez in the eighth and ninth again. And even though, you know, there is an off day today, so it probably wouldn't have mattered even if they did use Bautista and Lopez. Jorge Lopez and Felix Bautista have been pitching a lot this season and a lot lately, so it's nice to get them an extra day off with the day off Thursday, have them fully rested for the series against Tampa this weekend. But that's how they did it. 7-1, to one, the Orioles win it. They are over 500 at 45-44. and 44. They have won 10 games in a row and get to enjoy another off day coming up after that. But of course, one of the reasons the Orioles have been on this winning streak, both on the field and in the clubhouse, has been Trey Mancini, who did have a one for five with an RBI double, drove in a run in the second on Wednesday night, but just continues to be a big part of this lineup. And there's a lot of questions surrounding Trey Mancini right now because he is certainly a trade chip. A lot of teams are interested. He is most likely an upcoming free agent this year. And the big question around Birdland, especially the past couple of days, is should the Orioles trade Trey Mancini? Well, coming up next, I'm going to lay out the reasons why the Orioles should not trade him and why they should hold on to Trey for the rest of this season, even if it means they won't be re-signing him and won't get anything for him when he walks in free agency. But first, got to tell you about BlueNile.com because 
Whether it's that special time that you're ready to pop the question or just any milestone moment, you can find jewelry as unique as her to celebrate her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Blue Nile has simple online tools that let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity, as well as setting style. And if you don't know what you should be looking for, or you have questions, or you're just having trouble choosing, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to find you a memorable gift at every budget as well. So make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Oreos listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. So use the code locked on. That's code locked on. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress free and find your forever peace. Go to bluenile.com today. So the Orioles take down the Cubs 7 to 1 on Wednesday night to win their 10th straight game and get over 500 on the season, and it was another nice day, another RBI with a double for Trey Mancini. And continues to take us into this conversation that really blew up on Twitter among Orioles fans this week and conversations that's been being had most of this season, really. Should the Orioles trade Trey Mancini at the deadline? And Britt Giroli, who, of course, used to cover the Orioles now as a national baseball writer for The Athletic, wrote a, a great column in The Athletic earlier this week and laid out the points why she thinks the Orioles should not trade Trey, even if it means he walks in free agency. And, you know, citing multiple things. And I put out on Twitter that I agreed with most of what Britt wrote in The Athletic and wanted to lay out my views as well on why the Orioles should hold on to Trey Mancini. And first, I, I want to put it out there, and I'll address this later in the pod too, that I get the reasoning behind the people who want him to be traded. Listen, he's going to be a free agent, even though, you know, the Orioles put a mutual option in his contract for 2023. Those rarely get picked up, and sources have told multiple reporters that that mutual option is not going to be picked up, that he's going to be a free agent after this season. So I get, you know, when you are still in a rebuild, although the Orioles are coming out of it, you want to get the most that you can from your guys who are upcoming free agents because the O's are not going to sign him to an extension, it looks like, either. I had heard during the 2021 season that there was no extension talks. Doesn't seem like there's been any talks during this season either, which really means he's going to walk. So I get it. If a guy's going to walk and he's got value, like Trey Mancini does, there's certainly an argument to be made to trade him, to get back some prospects who will help you down the road and try to get something for him and, you know, maybe let him go play for a contender, try to make the playoffs. Well, here's the thing. The Orioles might be a contender right now. They're two games out of a playoff spot on July 14th. And first of all, you know, it's important to know that Trey Mancini certainly does have trade value. You know, this is not me yelling into the void about a, you know, below average hitter that isn't really going to bring anything back. He could bring a little bit back. But here's what Trey's stats look coming into Wednesday night's win. 79 games, 341 plate appearances. He's been healthy basically all season. A 281 average with a 358 on base and a 417 slugging with eight homers and 15 doubles. That is a 121 WRC plus for Trey Mancini and a 1.2 war according to fan graphs. He does have a 339 BABIP, which, you know, with the league average around 290 means he's been, you know, maybe a little lucky uh, when he has put the ball in play. But on the flip side, he's been unlucky with his power. Despite just eight home runs total, baseball savant and stat cast say that he is expected in terms of his batted ball data, to have 15 home runs. That's almost double the number of actual home runs he's had because he has been the player in baseball most hurt by the Orioles moving back the left field wall 
this season. But, you know, he's got an 8% walk rate, which is right around his career average, but a 20.2% strikeout rate is his career low. He, you know, has brought down his strikeouts. His chase rate is at a career low. His whiff rate is at a career low. And to couple that, you know, he's still hitting the ball hard. And his 43.6% hard hit rate is a career high. So, you know, 2019 was a great season for Trey. And I would still say that's the best of his career. But 2021 or 2022, I should say so far, has been a close second in terms of Trey Mancini's best seasons of his career since he got called up late in the 2016 season. And so that is all to tell you that, yeah, you know, other teams want Trey Mancini. But here's the thing. I get that he could get the Orioles some players, but would it be enough? But more importantly, this is not the time to do it. Now, if the Orioles has gone two and eight, three and seven over the last 10 games, if they were eight, nine, 10 games out of a playoff spot, if they were still well under 500, I'd be upset about it, but I would get why the O's would trade him. I would get it. They're not bringing him back. He's going to walk in free agency. You're bad again. You, you know, things are getting a little better, but you're bad again. You get something for Trey. You let him go play for a contender. Try to make the playoffs for the first time since the 2016 AO wildcard game. And, you know, hope that he has a good time playing playoff baseball maybe and, and signs a nice contract somewhere else. But that's all changed with a 10-game winning streak. With an over 500 team. With a team two games back of a playoff spot. That has all changed for me. First of all, you know, he's helping the team. He's hitting second, third every night, playing DH and, and at first base. And I just mentioned his stats, a 121 WRC+. plus. That's top three in the Orioles lineup right now. He's not blocking prospects. Yes, if the O's traded him, they would maybe have a little more wiggle room to, you know, DH Adley more, maybe play Tyler Nevin more. You could maybe call up Kyle Stowers, have him DH more at that point, but Generally, you know, Ryan Mountcastle's here. He's playing every day. There's not really a first base prospect who's ready to come up. The guys who I think should be in the big leagues fairly, fairly soon for the O's over the next couple of months in terms of hitters, Kyle Stowers, an outfielder, and then three infielders in Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, and, you know, potentially down the line, Taron Vavra as well. Trey Mancini's not blocking any of those guys. Yeah, if Trey Mancini's not here... Guys like Stowers and Gunner maybe you know can get more at-bats or the guys around them can get more at-bats because you free up the DH spot if Mountcastle's playing first base every day and it makes it easier to DH Adley when he's not behind the dish. But Mancini's not blocking anybody. And he's playing well. Again, a 121 WRC+. And the big thing here too, you know, this the argument still stands of what would have been the argument against trading Trey even if the O's were... 10, 15 games under 500 right now instead of being over. Is it really worth it to upset the fans that much? You know, we're not talking about Anthony Santander, who's been a, a good player for the O's and offensively is having, you know, a similar to better season than Trey Mancini and has been with the Orioles for almost as long since 2017, at least in the big leagues. But Anthony Santander does not mean nearly as much to the city of Baltimore and to Orioles fans that Trey Mancini does. Just to essentially, it felt like, you know, go through that cancer experience with Trey Mancini in 2020. The fans felt that. To have him return to the field in 2021, to be a part of him getting back to baseball and now really getting back to the Mancini we know at the plate here in 2022. All he has meant for Baltimore, for the Orioles. 
you know, he's the only guy still here from that last playoff team in 2016. He was on that playoff roster. He pinch hit in that wild card game. He's a leader of this team. He's a veteran guy. You know, he's 30 years old. And if he wants to be here, which it seems like he does, he deserves to see this season out. It's not going to be worth what the O's get back, which I'll get to in a bit about what that could be, to alienate a lot of fans by trading Trey Mancini. And you were going to alienate fans by trading Trey no matter what. The O's could be 20 and 60 right now, and trading Trey would still alienate fans. But I think a lot of fans would get it, and I would get it a lot more if the O's were 15 games back, way out of it once again. You're not going to re-sign him. Try to get something for him. But the O's are in this. As crazy as it's been and seems, and we know they have less talent on this team than all the teams above them in the AL wildcard race. And I know the chances are slim. I know the Fangraph's playoff odds projections are still below 3% for the Orioles. But they're in this. When you're two games back on July 14th, you're in it. And it could change before the actual trade deadline, which comes up on August 2nd this year. Maybe the O's start losing some games here right after the All-Star break and kind of come back down to earth. And maybe that changes things a little bit. It would. You know, if the O's went on like a 3-7 and seven stretch, it would change this argument just a little bit if they're, you know, further out of it by the time the actual trade deadline rolls around. But... Not enough at this point. This team is playing really well, and they've got reinforcements coming. D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, they're going to be here soon. And the Orioles, you know, there's been multiple rumors. They may try to add a little bit at this deadline. They're not going to be full sellers. They're not going to be full buyers. They're going to be somewhere in between trying to add talent that has multiple years of control, potentially a starting pitcher. We'll get to that on tomorrow's episode. But if they're going to add guys and try and win some more games this year, Trey deserves to be around and listen. I'm still on board for giving him a a one- or two-year extension beyond this to bring him back. But that seems to be out the door. So at least see this out with Trey Mancini. He deserves it. The Orioles fans deserve it. And I get Mike Elias is not going to make decisions with his heart. He shouldn't. To be a GM of a baseball team, unfortunately, you got to be kind of cold-hearted sometimes when it comes to these decisions. He's not going to make this decision with his heart. But my hope is that with the O's playing this well and Mancini playing this well, The best decision with your head is still to keep him around for the rest of the season. And that's kind of the the sentimental argument here. But, you know, there's also the argument of, well, what would the O's get back? So coming up next, we'll talk about what would the O's potentially get in a Trey Mancini trade and why that just kind of adds to the argument of it wouldn't really be enough. But first, let's talk about betonline.net, your one-stop shop for all your sports gambling needs. Now, we're right in the middle of the Major League Baseball season, All-Star break coming up. You can get odds on the Home Run Derby and the All-Star game and all the Major League Baseball regular season games at betonline.net. But it's not just that. You got the MLS season, the WNBA, and of course, every weekend, MMA, boxing, and golf as well. Get all the lines, all the injury news all the scores at betonline.net. You can even listen to podcasts like this one as well. They've got live betting, esports scores, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action at BetOnline, where the game starts. So we're talking Trey Mancini. As the O's have won 10 in a row, they are over 500. And should the O's trade Mancini at the deadline? You know, I spent... 
a lot of the offseason, a lot of early in the season, basically mentally preparing myself for the Orioles to trade him. Because I figured the O's would not be anywhere near 500 at this point, and it would just make sense to deal him because they weren't going to offer him an extension. And I was going to be sad, but I was preparing myself to live with it. I'm done preparing myself. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And I laid out kind of the you know more heart overhead points, sentimental points. But there's also the point of what the Orioles would get back for a player like Trey Mancini is not nearly worth the hit it would take to the fans, the hit it would take to this clubhouse right now to trade Mancini. And I get it. Most contenders could use Trey Mancini. Listen, especially with the DH in the National League now, every team contending for a spot could at the very least use Mancini off their bench and probably in a DH or first base role. Now I get it. You know, he doesn't really play the outfield. That kind of hurts his value. You know, the O's have tried him in the outfield. It's just not good. He's a first base DH. He's also 30 years old. He's also an upcoming free agent. And he's at best a a little above average defensively first baseman. All those things hurt him a little bit. But I wanted to take a look at some recent trades on some similar-ish players to see what the Orioles could maybe get back for Trey Mancini. And there is one trade for a guy similar to Trey that's already happened this year. Last month, the Seattle Mariners acquired Carlos Santana from the Kansas City Royals. Santana, a little bit older, a 36-year-old first baseman, but he is an upcoming free agent. Had a, has a 115 WRC plus this year. Mancini at 121. They've been having similar offensive seasons. Santana known as a pretty good defensive first baseman as well. And now Santana has a much better track record than Trey Mancini. A multi-time all-star when he was younger, especially with Cleveland. But you can, you can see where the comparisons come in between Santana and Mancini right now. First base only guys having pretty good years, but 30 and above and they're free agents. Kansas City did not get much for Carlos Santana. They also sent cash to the Mariners in the deal, and the top prospect was William Fleming, who they got, a right-handed pitcher who in the preseason Fangraphs rankings was ranked number 26 in the Mariners system. And then they got a right-handed pitcher in Wyatt Mills, who is 27 years old already, no longer a prospect, and now has a 7.01 ERA in 25 and two-thirds career big league innings. The Royals did not get enough back for me. That is not a trade I would want to do. A guy like Fleming and Mills for Trey Mancini. That does not move the needle whatsoever. And that's kind of what the market is going to be. Now, maybe Mancini could command a little more than Santana. He's six years younger, and he's had a better offensive season. But they're both first basemen only who are upcoming free agents. And although Mancini's offense has been better, it's not like it's a crazy amount better. It's just a bit better than Santana's been. And he's a little younger, maybe less likely to break down. But you'd maybe get a little more than the Royals got, but not much more for a guy like Trey Mancini. And that's nothing in terms of return. There's some other guys to bring up. Kyle Schwarber in 2021, a somewhat fair comparison. Now, Schwarber plays the outfield a little better than Mancini. Not much better, but a little better. He has more experience in the outfield, so maybe that makes him different. Now, Schwarber was a 28-year-old upcoming free agent, not a really good defender last year. Now, the difference in Schwarber, he had a 136 WRC plus with the Nationals before he was traded. He was, I mean, he had run through June hitting a home run every at-bat, so he was a hotter commodity certainly at last year's trade deadline, but he got the Nationals one pitching prospect. Now, it was 20-year-old right-hander Aldo Ramirez, who was the Red Sox' number 14 prospect in their system at the time. 
He has not pitched in 2022 with an elbow injury. And, you know, 20 years old, he'd only pitched essentially in low A and rookie ball before the trade. So not a guy you're going to get super excited about. And yeah, he's got some arm talent. He's top 15 prospect in the Red Sox system, which isn't good though. Yeah, he's okay. That's not enough for me to trade Trey Mancini. How about Jock Peterson last year? Now, he's a little more valuable than Trey because he's had a better track record as a hitter. Big postseason moments as well. That helps the postseason team. Certainly, he helped the Braves. And he plays the outfield fairly well. So you can stick him out there with more defensive versatility. But he was a 30-year-old upcoming free agent just like Trey. He was struggling a little bit. He had a 90 WRC plus with the Cubs before the trade. Much worse than Mancini's hitting. He got Bryce Ball for this Cubs team. He was the number 11 prospect for the Braves. Not terrible, not great, but one player. It's not really going to move the needle like Mancini does. That's not worth it. You look through all those trades, and those are the, you know, the most recent ones. There were some from 2020, but that's so hard to judge because you know, you're going off a 60-game season in 2019, probably too far away. But those are kind of your, your three ones that, that at least match up from the last two years. That's not enough. A return like that would not nearly be worth the pain to the fans and to the clubhouse and to just the team's success on the field right now. That pain of trading away Trey Mancini. It's just not worth it. I understand the argument. The Orioles need to compile more and more talent. They have to compete with an incredible AL East moving forward. And I get the argument that if they're not re-signing him, and you know most people still think the O's probably aren't a playoff team this year, they're not going to re-sign him. You got to at least get something for him. I get that, but I don't agree with it because Mancini's just not some other player with a 121 WRC plus on an expiring contract. He's Trey Mancini. He means a little something different to the Orioles fans and to the Orioles in that clubhouse. It's not going to be worth it to get rid of him. Keep him in Baltimore. If he walks in free agency, which is going to happen, it happens. But let him see this out with the Orioles because maybe, I don't think it's likely, but maybe, just maybe, this team adds a little bit at the deadline. Gets those prospects like Hall and Henderson up. Maybe they're in a playoff race in September. And wouldn't you like to have Trey Mancini around for that? He certainly deserves it with what he's been through with this Orioles team. So keep him. Keep Trey Mancini in Baltimore. But that'll do it for today's episode. We've got one more episode coming up this week on the pod tomorrow. Going to be talking some other Orioles trade rumors. Not with Trey Mancini, but potentially what the Orioles could add at the trade deadline because they may be some sort of buyers this year to try and pick up some starting pitching talent with multiple years of control. And coming up tomorrow, we'll take a look at who some of those players could be that the O's could target in trades before the deadline on August 2nd. But again, that's coming up on our Friday episode to finish out the week. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.